0: we got new titles, you know, some churches have senior pastors and staff pastors. We have experience and energy. There you go. E squared. Um, For 43 years, I've had the privilege to stand in front of congregations and share the word of God. Some weeks were better than others. Some months were better than others. Some, some years, frankly, were better than others. You're very fortunate as a church because you're catching me in my prime. <laughs> I only bring the winners here. as we enter this season, we're, we're, we're returning to a place, and and when I'm going to say, you'll go, uh, Mark, didn't you say that about a year, 15 months ago? And I'll say, yes, I did. Um, as we approach September, there's some things that we need to expand. And so over the next few weeks, we'll just kind of drop little breadcrumbs, and in the next week or two you'll start seeing some sign-up sheets. But but by the week after Labor Day, I want to have something for children in place. We want to have something for children. And uh, the intent is to have them come uh, into worship. I think it's very important that they participate in that. And that's very hard for some people to lead. Uh, they don't sing. and they, You me take the kids and they're missing out on music. So we'll keep them here. We'll send them out. Now, with that in mind, those of us that are preaching, which right now is generally Chris and Mark, we're going to have to watch the time or else people will not volunteer very long for back there. And so uh, that's something you'll be hearing about. Um, hospitality. Um, I like people at the door saying hi and welcome and showing people. Uh, you know, when you come to a new church, it's nice to know where the bathroom is before you need it. Um, <laughs> hello um, you know it's it's nice to know and now it's not too hard here but but as, as we continue to progress people come they bring family where do they what do we do what's the protocol do we sit out here and wait till the doors open you know those kinds of things and it's um, y- if you can say hi I'm and smile that'd be a great thing so you'll be seeing some stuff about that I don't know if you've noticed in media right now we have two people and me I can run it uh, that understand that. So what happens many a Sunday is if Chris is speaking and then Kelly's a member of our council, so she's praying, so I run off stage and go and run media, So if, if that's something. So you're going to see some opportunities to serve. Uh, we won't kill you won't make you do it every week for our multiple services. <laughs> Just a joke. But uh, looking forward to that day as well. Uh, I'm going to begin a series entitled, I Am David, or I'm Richard Gear, whichever you prefer uh, hey if if it brings a crowd i 'll put the face I, you know um, i 'll resort to anything uh, I am David, uh, and if you were here in the I am Moses series, you kind of get an idea of of how we look at a person, and uh, we all know who David was, the king of Israel, uh, quite an amazing king. Uh, So we're going to talk about I Am David, and, and this whole series, however long it goes, is going to be entitled Lessons in Greatness, Lessons in Greatness. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, it says, this is God speaking through the prophet to Saul, who was the first king of Israel, but now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So as we look at David, that's that's the, the one <laughs> that the prophet's talking about. The Lord has appointed a leader of his people who's after his own heart. How would you like that testimony? Wow. And yet... Here's some things that I want us to look at in this series. You know, God created us in his image and his likeness. You're aware of that, right? Genesis 1. He created us for and calls us to a life of greatness. No one's been called to mediocrity. No one's been called to failure. But many settle. Many of us settle. For many, uh, they've never seen or never been shown the way to get to greatness. Others have obstacles to overcome. In either case... All of us, if we'll listen carefully in that still, silent time, the still, small voice speaks to our heart and whispers greatness into our hearts. I want to take a look, a revealing look, into the life of a great man, a man who is after God's own heart. But here's some good news. You'll say, well, he's David, and he was a man after God's own heart. Believe me, he was about as human as they come. And that's good, too, because if God could say about him, you're going to be great, and you're the person that I put my trust in, and I'm going to use you to fulfill my purposes in a people, and he's human, what does that mean for the rest of us? So let's take a revealing look into the life of this great man, the man who wasn't perfect. He was truly human. He was fallible. Uh, He attained greatness, listen, despite failures and setbacks. Or if you don't like despite, put in spite of failures and setbacks. David's example reveals how all of us can become great for God. Here's three things that I want us to understand right off the bat. Every person has God placed seeds of greatness within them. Greatness of purpose, greatness of passion, greatness of focus with an objective to be achieved. God does not create us. Well, let's see, I need the mediocre clan. I was in that line in heaven. That's not what he did. in each one of us, God planted seeds of greatness. I used to run a preschool in Lodi. In fact, we were there this week and looked at the building and realized I'm glad I don't do that anymore. Uh, but <laughs> but anyway, one of the things that that I used to to speak at every one of the events, the little graduations and things, and, and I always wanted to put a sign: through these halls past the dreams of God. Through these halls, past the dreams of God. That when God created us, he had a dream, he had a vision, he had a goal, he had a plan. It was a goal, a plan, a vision, a dream of greatness for you and greatness for me. Here's the second thing I want us to understand. I think it's there in your notes. Every one of us is fallible. Every one of us is fallible. And the third thing is every one of us faces obstacles Failures and setbacks. Ever had any of those? Jill said, when we were on that campus the other day, and this is maybe too much sharing, but that's what you get with me. As as we were looking, thinking, what did we do here that led to our demise? Well, that sounds rather strong. And at the time, it may have felt like demise, but we chose not to lay down. We chose to stand back up. We chose to walk in faithfulness. And when we see things, particularly in the life of our children and now in our grandchildren, We say, thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to fulfill in us the purpose that you designed, even when we didn't always follow what you wanted us to do. The first truth of the truths of this series is greatness is achieved on a battlefield. Greatness is achieved on the battlefield. When you think of Dwight Eisenhower... What do you think of initially, if you're old enough to know who Dwight Eisenhower was? He's a general. Yes, he was a president, and yes, the interstate system was birthed under his presidency. And what else do you know him for? Well, he chose Richard Nixon as a vice president. Maybe that's... (laughs) You don't think of a whole lot of Eisenhower as a president. When you think of Eisenhower, what do you think? He was a general. Allied Supreme Commander of the Allied forces in the European theater. So you think of D-Day and all the, the fake tanks that they built out of plywood to get the Germans to think we were coming this way and, and all those plans that went on for years and years to, to liberate Europe. That when you think of him, where was his greatness found? On the battlefield. When we talk about David, where is his greatness really found? On the battlefield, David rose to greatness because of the battlefield. You know, David was a warrior in training even when he was watching his dad's sheep. In First Samuel 17, it says, David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. That's what most kids do. <laughs> if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the John Club it to death. We're not talking a spider here. He says a lion or bear. He doesn't back down. Guess what he was doing? He was in training. He was learning about the tactics of the battlefield. Even when he wasn't considered human by his own family. You'll say, what do you mean he wasn't considered human? Because when the prophet of God came to his father and said, bring your sons, because the Lord told me one of your sons is going to be king, he went down the whole line of seven of them and said, none of them. None of them. You got any others? Yeah, we got the, the, the yeah, him out there. He wasn't even included in the list of sons. Stick around. David has a lot to teach us. Those of you that feel abandonment and rejection, there it is. He goes on to say, I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to the pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. The reason he could take on a giant is he'd taken on lions and bears. And tigers, oh my. <laughs> the other thing we see is that David fought Goliath when others experienced soldiers trembled. In 1 Samuel verse 8, 17 verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across the Israelites. Why are you coming out to fight? I am the Philistine champion, but you're only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you'll be our slaves. Let's see. You're 10 foot tall, whatever. And he says, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were all brave because God was on their side. That's what they should have been says, so they were terrified and shaken. Skip down to verse 22. David left these things with the keeper of the supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him, shot his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away. Remember, we're talking about the veterans. Again, he's not even old enough to be in the army. He's just bringing some groceries. That's why he's there. As soon as Israelites saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife. Not necessarily a prize in the case of what happens, but <laughs> and the man's entire family will be exempt from paying taxes. If you go and read what David says, he asked about the tax thing. Did I hear right on the taxes? Wasn't so interested in the woman, but he was certainly interested in the taxes. David asks, what will a man get for killing the Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? David's greatness was shaped on a battlefield. Verse 41, David or Goliath walked toward David with the shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the name of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin. Oh, blessed be God. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know there is not David in Israel, that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spirit. The battle is the Lord's, and he will give you to us. David's greatness was shaped on the battlefield. Do you know that David continued, not only did he defeat Goliath, and there's a teaching in this series about that, so I don't want to go any farther, but David conquered Philistines. He conquered other armies of Israel. And here's the key. David became great in battle. David became great in battle. I'll try it one more time. David became great in battle. They were his glory years. If you don't believe me, let's talk about David's devastating fall from greatness. David's devastating fall from greatness, point two. These are fresh notes, by the way. I finished at 7.08 this morning. <laughs> Texted Chris, I think I'm ready. If not, you're up. <laughs> Which, by the way, he he preached two fine Bible messages in the front and the back end of that song this morning. In 2 Samuel, it says, In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab. Did you hear what I said? In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. However, David stayed in Jerusalem. Where did I just tell you David became great? He became great in battle. When did he become weak? When he stayed home. Late one afternoon after his midday rest. Now, please understand, they had the whole winter off. It says in the spring of the year, they went to battle. What were they doing in the winter? Sitting around eating grapes and bonbons. I don't know, sleeping, doing whatever. But he had to have a midday rest. David got out of his bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he was looking out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. I'm going to guess that that was probably a regular occurrence. And during the winter months, he'd probably walked out every day at 3.02. Because she shows up. But if I can get the army and the general out of town... He sent someone to find out who she was, then David sent messages to get her, and when she came to the palace he slept with her. Where was greatness forged? The on the battlefield. Where was his demise? At home, retired. Now I'm not talking about retirement from work, so don't freak out. I'm not saying you gotta work at your job till you die. That's not what I'm saying. You'll you'll catch on here in a minute. Well, you know the story. It's Bathsheba. And that's another teaching, so I don't want to get too in-depth to that. But, you know, she became pregnant. And so how do you cover that up when your husband, her husband, is in the army? So you invite him home. Say, go over to the house. Say hi to your wife. He goes, why would I go home and sleep in a select comfort bed? My number's 50. When everybody else in my platoon is out sleeping on rocks, I'll just sleep here by the gate. Well, let's maybe get him a little drunk and see if we can get him to go home. He still had principles. So David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. Gave the man a letter that was speaking of his demise and said, here, you go give it to your commander. And in that letter, it says, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle's the fiercest, then pull back so he'll be killed. I just got done telling you that David was great and his greatness was forged on the battlefield. And look at what he's now conniving to do. And then has the guts to hand the person the letter that sentences him to death. Oh, would you carry it? Because I'm too cheap to get postage. Now, if you don't know, there wasn't a postal service then. And if there had been, the letter still be wanting to get there. But anyway, that's a joke. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. So then the question I want to ask is, why did David stay home from this battle? Now, there's nothing in the Bible that says why he stayed home. So everything now is Markisms. If you're new here today, a Markism is something that I conjecture, okay? I'll teach you the Bible. I have some theology that I'll hold to. This is just Markism, so please don't go and say, David did this. It's just some thoughts, okay? Perhaps David believed success earned him the right to rest and retire from the battle. However, I submit to you, this is a perverted view of success and retirement. For many people, the life of leisure becomes a purposeless purposeless life. Nothing in the Bible tells us to live without purpose. I do know this for a fact, that we're wired for warfare. It's in our DNA. Look at what Genesis 1.28 says. The Lord blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Rain over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and the animals. What does rain over mean? That's rulership. That's rulership. That's what we're wired to do you say, well, that's in Genesis. We're in the New Testament. Fine, I'll go all the, way, all the way to the other end. 66 books later, Revelation 1. Grace and peace be to you from the one who was and is and who is to come from Jesus Christ. He's a faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood. He has made us to be kings and priests for God his Father. What are kings? Kings represent God to man. And what do priests do? They represent man before God. That doesn't sound like a life of leisure. That sounds like an incredible, purposeful responsibility. Luke 10, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. Does that mean we're supposed to be like a church and bring rattlesnakes in on the fourth Sunday and we dance with them and do it? No, absolutely not. Snakes and scorpions, we know, reference evil spirits. We've been given power over the demonic. Why would we be given power unless we're to do battle? You say, why would I want to do battle? Because those demonic forces are attacking you. And they're attacking your family. And they're attacking your friends. And they're attacking your workplace. And anywhere they sense weakness, they're attacking. And who's to stand up and say, you have no right here? The believers in Jesus Christ. Us. That's our job. I can't stand this. You're just going to have to look at the fact that I have a really red eye. Ephesians six ten. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the adversary. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Did you hear what I just said there? We're not fighting against persons with bodies. That person at work that's driving you crazy, you might want to look and see what's driving them. What is tormenting them? That's what's tormenting you. That was good. (laughs) Never before said by me or written down. I just said that. We're not fighting against... Persons with bodies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenlies. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the adversary in the time of evil. Then after battle, you'll still be standing firm. It's good that we're wired for war because we're locked in the middle of the biggest one ever. I shared with you last fall the the oppression and the, the sense of dynamic that was just I, I couldn't watch the news. What everybody perceived as political. I recognized this is this war of the spirit. It's a war of the spirit and when And you can see when people are under the deception of the adversary, because when you speak truth, they cover their eyes and plug their ears, and they go la 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 you can't even engage in a dialogue, and to try to debate with someone who's at that point is a waste of your time. You have to go for the source who's causing them not to hear the adversary that 's where the battle is. Not in my notes. It's good we're wired for war. Here's some truths about the battle no one avoids the battle. No one avoids it. No one avoids the battle. Are you ready for this? You're either a warrior or you're a captive. There's no Switzerland. Either you're engaged in it or you're captive in it. You can't take a vacation from the battle. You can't retire from it. When you refuse to fight, guess what you did? You surrender. And when you surrender, all those under your authority are defeated with you. If you don't believe me, listen to what I'm going to say right now. The consequences of David's sin spread to his entire family and ultimately affected the nation of Israel. When you give up and won't fight, you're sending a message of defeat and oppression over whatever line you're responsible for. So I fight. I fight because Jill is in my line. And Lindsay and Heather and Jeff and Jared and those five grandkids, if I can remember their names. Let's see, Brinkley, Brecken, Dayton, Dax, and Everett. And others. And I fight because of you. I can't lay down. Are you hearing me? Yeah. Come on, Mark. Come on. When I came here, Joe and I came here on that November day. Well first in the October day. <laughs> Which was Dan and Cindy's first Sunday. Hi, we're here. Oh, we're quitting. <laughs> and we stayed. <laughs> You know why we came? We came to fight for the rivers. To fight for a body of people. And then COVID comes along. And you know what? I can record at home and I'm going to keep going. Why do I do that? It's not that at my age I need something in a resume. Why do we fight? Because we want to leave a legacy. There's a reason for the hat. I don't care to be your legend, but I want you to be the legacy. I will not give up. Do I get discouraged? Yeah. Do I get tired? Yeah. Do I get really tired? You bet. When I have to get up Sunday at 4 o'clock and write notes for a, to be done for 10, am I tired about that? Yes. Do I have a nap planned this afternoon? You bet. but I'm going to fight because you matter and people in your line matter. Get up. Get up. Get up. Get up. Not in my notes. Get up. Don't let the adversary keep you and your family and your children and your grandchildren under bondage. Get up and fight. I'm becoming the pastor of energy. (laughs) You see, there's no such thing as a private sin. There's no such thing as a private failure. It affects all of us. So here's what I'm going to say, say to you. The secret of peace and rest is warfare, not retirement. I thank God for Dale. She goes, I'm retired so I can do more here. Thank God. Because without her, the first 18 months, we'd have, well, I don't know if I'd have got the key to even get in half the time. David prospered and was at rest when he battled. In this case, he had just completed a long winter of rest, he wasn't too tired to fight. So here's what I want to tell you. Two keys. I don't think this is in your notes because I just got them this morning. God will never push you too far or make you fight without rest. I talked about this morning. If you can't see that Jesus is showing up and giving me strength right now, he is. He never calls us to fight Without giving us the strength that we need, he'll never push us too far, and he'll never make us fight without rest. But when it's time for war, you must fight. Here's the good news. You're going to fight, but you're going to win. Another reason, he saw Bathsheba and anticipated an opportunity. Bathsheba caused more pain for David than any battle he ever fought. Read 2 Samuel 11, 12. 14, 15. (laughs) Aren't you glad I'm not reading all of those verses this morning? You see, sin can keep us out of the battle. D, this is for you. And I don't mean any reference to your age. I just don't know how to say it any other way. The face of an older soldier in God's army Can't hide the excitement of living for God. I told you I wrote a line for you today. She is so excited about Jesus. You've been in the battle a long time. Yeah, I mean, I'm old, but you've been in the battle a long time. And yet she can't wait to get here and can't wait to make sure I read the right reference. That's okay. But look at the smile. Has, has life always been easy? Absolutely not. Have there been challenges? Absolutely. Have there been battles? Yes. Has there been all-out wars? You bet. But you look at the face of someone who surrenders the life of defeat. Give me the face of an overcomer not the face of the overcome. Number three, maybe he lost his nerve for the battle. Losing your nerve is something called fear. Fear is never of God. You know, fear is a spirit. Are you aware of that? So when you feel fear, you know you're in a spiritual battle because fear is a spirit. Fear will always lead to regretful decisions. Always. You decide something based on fear, you'll always wish you hadn't decided that. All of us have fears we have to overcome if we're going to succeed with God. Some of those fears include, and I just list my life story, rejection, failure, poverty, isolation, shame. Courage and heroism don't mean you don't feel fear. It means you choose to act beyond it. How do you act? You act in faith. Hebrews 11 says, it's impossible to please God without faith. Faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Regardless of the reason, I think that line's in your notes. David's rise to greatness stopped the minute he withdrew from the battlefield and his real problems began. All of us, like David, have dealt with and may still be dealing with the lure of worldliness and images of rest, independence, prosperity, and pride. That may be alluring. We may all be dealing with or have dealt with lust, the desire for pleasure, sexual excitement... We may have all been challenged by fear, facing doubts, facing fears about entering into a battle and saying, God, I'm going to surrender this battle to you and trust that you show up. But the real problem we face aren't the ones listed. The real problem is we're not in the battle. as the worship team comes have you given up the fight to resist the adversary the Bible says resist the devil and he'll flee from you some of us just don't want to resist if it just comes we just let it come resist there's there's energy there there's strength there You have to determine, I am not going to accept the pressure that's put on me. I'm going to push back. Have you given up the fight to contend for God's best for your marriage? We'll just play the string out. I'll live in this half. He, she can live in the other half. Have you given up the fight to see your children experience God's best, his design potential for them? We contend every day for our grandkids. We have one that's particularly challenged. You've prayed for him. We've seen marvelous things, but we're still contending because there's some things that he still needs to push through. They all have things that we see that we're... They're, they're too young to understand they're in a battle so we're in a battle for them Nani and Poppy and they'll carry me out still fighting for Brinkley and little Brecky and Dayton and Dax and don't forget Everett who turns one Have you given up the fight to see your finances restored and the devourer rebuked? Have you given up the fight to see your business thrive? To be blessed by and be a blessing at your work? There's no easy answer. There's no easy answer. You're going to have to fight, but you're going to win. But you're going to have to fight. You're going to win. But you're going to have to fight. Are you getting it? Why are we worshiping at the end today? And in, in David the worshiper, week two, we will do this same format again. And I, I'm going to give a little hint of that sermon today, gentlemen. <laughs> so you understand you're not last on the program you're just most important worship is a tool of warfare and praise is an instrument of violence so here's what we're going to do I don't know I've, I heard them I don't remember what songs you have and it'll be fine But some of you need to sing by faith today because you don't feel it. Some of you need to sing by faith because it's not a reality. Have you ever had to say, Jesus, I love you, and you think, I'm not so sure about that right now. Hmm? But you choose to do it. So when we worship today, we're gonna fight. Do you know the rest of it? But we're gonna to win. To help you with the fight, I've asked the council to be ready, and, and we didn't discuss how. But I, you'll see them stationed around somewhere. If you need prayer, or you want prayer, or you're saying, "I didn't know he was in a battle till the pastor said I better fight." I need someone to help me figure out where the battle is. So as this is just going to go on. There's going to be no directed thing. We're not going to stop and say, okay, please go to Dale over here if you have money problems. Please go to Chris if you need to lift weights. But they're going to be there, okay? David's greatness was found on the battlefield. You'll discover your greatness on the battlefield. We'll discover the greatness of our God together as we engage in the battle as we worship him.